Hello and welcome back to the Invisible Door to God podcast. Today, our two guests are ready to wage philosophical war or a coffee shop brawl as they debate the problem of evil and argue over divine hiddenness. Today, I am very excited to introduce my colleague, my friend, my fellow homo sapien, unless we are actually a brain in a vat. To hell with you darn skeptics. This is Stone the Mason Austin. He will pound his atheistic belief right through your head. I'm just joking. Stone today will be arguing for the side of the atheist. Arguing for the theistic side is Harrison Newford Fang, as he motors down new roads of the proverbial theistic highway. The problem of evil is a question of how to accommodate God and his omnipotence omnibenevolence and omniscience with evil that is that the existence of evil in the world either proves or lowers the probability of atheism another piece of philosophy that shall be discussed today is divine hiddenness this is an idea that since god is all loving he would want to have a relationship with all humans but since some humans are unaware of god it seems to create a problem for the theist, as the holy loving and holy good God doesn't have a relationship with all humans. So, we'll turn to Stone, as he can tell us a little bit more about himself. Well, uh, yeah, it's nice to be here today. Um, I'm Stone Austin, six-time World Wrestling Federation champion. You know, I've uh, in my day I've laid down uh, my share of suffering and evil, and so I feel that I'm uniquely qualified to argue that there is no God, especially for anyone who shows up against me in the ring. All right, looking at you, Harrison. Be afraid. Maybe God will stand in your path today. He hasn't yet. Him and Vince McMahon have tried though. <laughs> great story from Stone. Now, Harrison, will uh, you present yourself to the judges? Uh, I mean, yeah, I can't really say much. <clears throat> I'm just like this humble MSU student. I mean, well, I was um, recently dropped out because, you know, I like, didn't pass this one philosophy course. So. But, you know, like, I mean, I, I guess to be fair, I've gone through my own fair share of suffering and everything, too. And, you know, even though parents kind of selling me for dropping out of school and my girlfriend left me you know I mean at least God still loves me right so I'm just here today trying to just say like hey like God still exists and he's good for all of us yeah I mean as long as you keep your faith all right well Stone um is there anything you want to stay say on the coexistence of evil with God yeah so today I'm going to be talking about the problem of evil which examines how the contradiction uh, or at least problematic interaction between God's supposed nature and the existence of the evil in the world would lead us to believe that God doesn't exist. Um, now you might be saying, well, Stone, there is, you know, like how much evil is really in the world? And if you think about it, there's a lot. Every day people suffer from crimes and poverty and mental health. Uh, this world is filled with injustice, right? And if we want to see why this is incompatible with the idea of a god, first we need to break down what we mean by a god. 
Um, most theists, at least here in America, I think would agree that God is an omniscient, omnipotent, omnibenevolent being. That is, he's all-powerful, all-knowing, and all-good. Right? And so why are these three characteristics incompatible with evil? Well, a perfectly good being would act like a moral person in the most extreme way. And from that, we can conclude that being like this would eliminate any evil it knew of insofar as it could eliminate that. We know that an omniscient being knows of all evil, and so an omniscient, omnibenevolent being must want to eliminate all evil it can. And we know that an omnipotent being can do anything that it wants to do. So, uh, if I can speak, I mean, I would say that this God, would, this all-powerful God, knows of all this evil, and since he's all-knowing and all-good, he would absolutely have to and want to get rid of all of this evil. Yeah. All right. When we get down to it... That's the bare God, bones. Yeah, if God is to have the properties described, something is screwy here. Mm-hmm, absolutely. And so because of this, I think it's at least questionable whether God exists. Uh, absolutely agree. And um, Harrison, I mean, I think uh, Stone brings up a great point. There seems to be an inconsistency here between evil and uh, God's three core values. Is there something you want to say to this? Um, yeah, like... I'm I'm pretty shook. Um, you know, I've been taught my whole life about God, you know, going to Sunday school and all that. And, you know, here we have Stoner just trying to, you know, stir up the horn's nest. But, you know, I got to admit, he presents a lot of solid arguments. Um, and, you know, the more I think about it, it does seem kind of fishy that, like, yo, like, this world is uh, pretty messed up for, you know, despite the fact that many of us, or I guess, like, maybe arguably many of us still believe in like a very loving and all-powerful God too um and yeah uh there isn't like a single necessarily explanation that can just accommodate that but you know I do have a couple of theodicies to I want to kind of mention and so kind of what are theodicies well you you just kind of just brought up the idea where it's like yeah like it seems kind of strange where the idea of evil um, kind of contradicts, you know, the existence of God, you know, and like, can they really coexist? And I think the, like, theodicy essentially tried to explain that, you know, provide some sort of evidence um, of how God can still exist despite that. So, I mean, hey, like, um, I'm going to kind of possibly look into, you know, for example, like, you know, John Hicks' soul-making theodicy, or even, you know, Laura Ekstrom's uh, partial theodicy about divine intimacy. Um, but firstly, I'm going to focus on an idea, um, and specifically in the response to Stones here, uh, he seems to be focusing on this idea of moral evil. Um, so as you know, there's different kinds of evils out there. I mean, for example, like, there's probably, like, you know, the existence of, as we know, like, tsunamis and natural disaster. Like, that, we can refer to that as natural evil, but once again, like, hey, like, uh, let's kind of just hone in on the idea about this moral evil in the world. Um... I don't know. Yeah, like the idea, like the vindication of divine goodness and the providence of, you know, existence of evil as well. So. I'm sorry, could you repeat that? I didn't really catch that last bit there. I don't know what I'm saying that part. We'll cut that part out. Anyways. <laughs> okay. <laughs> kind of read that. I don't know. That's fair, yeah. Not bad. Okay, let's cut that out. So. Okay. All right. Zoom. So. 
Let's look at Alvin Plantinga's free will defense, okay? So, Plantinga here argues that God's coexistence with moral evil is actually logically compatible. So, alright, yeah, we have God is omnipotent, God is wholly good, yet evil exists. And Mackie is trying to just go, hey, like, there's an explicit contradiction uh, between God and existence of evil. But the thing is that maybe it's not as contra contradictory as we think it is. Um, so, <clears throat> and why isn't it so contradictory? Well, uh, here's the thing. So, planning an attempt to show us that you know, God has created a world containing evil, but he may have a good reason for doing so. Um, and that might be consistent with the fact that God is still omniscient, omnip omnipotent, and still holy good. Um, so here, this is the part where I actually go into free will defense itself. So what is the free will defense? So let's first acknowledge that it is a model. It is different from a theodicy, um, a model being like a possible explanation or a possible sort of world that is just a representation of the reality we live in. So, all right, first, a significantly free person is free with respect to morally significant action. So meaning um, in this free world, uh, people have the ability to make these significantly moral decisions, either good or bad. Now this can be considered different than uh, maybe like a trivial sort of action, right? Like, oh, like what I wanna eat for the next day, right? So we're talking about like something like either good or evil. And a world containing like these creatures who are significantly free are more, is more valuable than a world containing no free creatures at all. So creatures capable of, of performing good must also be capable of performing evil as well. And God cannot prevent these actions without intervening. So this may explain that, you know, hey, um, okay, well, this may also, like, this kind of gives an idea about why evil exists, but more so, like, hey, like, why isn't God doing more? Kind of what Stone is pointing at. So that is the free will defense as we know it. Um, and then there's a question, right? Well, okay, sure, there's free will, but, well, why can't we just be given free will but only have free will to do what is good you know why is there such a like a like a scale there and uh, i'm going to just introduce the idea of trans world depravity really quick which you know um is idea mostly just from planning go he well basically he believes that you know perhaps almost all of us are trans world depraved so that idea can i cut you off real quick yeah go ahead uh, do you remember what Joe was saying about trans world depravity? Oh, you're not going to that. No, oh, like okay. you're you're you like you're 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 doing the right segue. Just like he Joe had said, like trans world depravity isn't so much of a like it. You might be on you might be on that tangent, but like it might be better to explain it like trans world depravity is like a problem in the nature of human like it's something that we all have and it's something that like is endemic like any world that god could create not just like the people within that world right and so that god has no control over it's not no control over but since we have free will it doesn't matter what god would do yeah no like you get to the same conclusions that you do with your like with trans world depravity if it only affects people mm -hmm. but it becomes less of a question of why god can't find the right people to quote joe mm -hmm. right okay you're more looking at the world itself and you're saying it's not just that god can't find the right people it's that like anything that he makes is going to be fucked up <laughs> right which kind of steps on his omnipotence but i'm not gonna fuck with that right now yeah so 
Um, seeing how this is probably just like a practice take, you know, I'll assume I explain that. Um, and I'll stop there probably. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Ending with the idea, well, okay, and like, once again, we're trans with the prey, it's our fault, maybe. Not such God, he's doing ours his best. So, right. cut him some slack. <laughs> right, right. Sure. Um, so, I mean, would you want me to ask you, is there anything in response to the free world defense that you have? Or is there something more in-depth you want me to ask you there? No, the, Just the little free ball? You can feel free to comment on the idea of, like, trans world depravity as well. Just okay. to, you okay. know, have a more yeah. of you if you want, so... Or, or to the general idea that, like... I was just... I was gonna let you go because you were freaking killing it, so... Honestly, like, my my ability to ramble gets a lot nicer once I know where I need to start and end. So, on a personal level, I hope this is all a lot more polished. Yeah. Yeah, I, I was like... You had the... I just... I saw a great ending point right there. That's why I cut you off. Right. Um... I was just like, wow, he's doing that. Just, there's no reason to stop him. <laughs> that, not to like glorify what it was. I was just like, he, you asked yourself the question. I was like, all right. Well, yeah. uh, we are at about 13 minutes, by the way. So that's not bad for just introducing a lot of that there. So let's just kind of yeah. continue on, just pretend yeah. like we're. All right, there. would you guys be okay? I was going to be. The only thing I would have done was like, clearly, Trans World Depravity um, was affected in your life. Uh, Do it, no, no, that's not a little shade. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Yeah. yeah. Um, honestly, you might be able Honestly, Ron, you could ask the clarification question. Like, if you wanted to introduce trans world depravity, like, just about people, and then, Ron, if you wanted to ask the question, like, wow, this trans, you know, like, to what extent are we trans world depravity? Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. What's stopping God from... Yeah, I was going to be, I was going to ask, like, like, so what about if there was a world where we did all good? Yeah, no, like, that's honestly, where I would be a good place for me to ask a question, just so, honestly, they hear someone else, and so just... Yeah, maybe not like to introduce trans world depravity, but like to prompt that further explanation once the audience already has the idea. Like, yeah, that flowed really, really well. Oh, we'll just ask the question about the good planet or good. Why well, can't? Yeah, sure. yeah. I think we're on the same page. <laughs> yeah, pretty sure. All right, so I'll ask you the question. So, is there um, <laughs> is there anything in response to the free will defense though? Yeah, so the the free will defense is uh, a partial theodicy. Um, and there are a lot of partial theodicies that attempt to explain why God should do something, right? And in general, you can respond to these either by saying, like, yeah, sorry, there are a lot of theodicies, and uh, pretty much all theodicies are successful at initially rebutting the logical problem of evil. Um, but they aren't. But they don't necessarily account for like all the suffering in the world, right? Okay. So when we think about the the sum total of suffering, like you said, uh, you specifically focused on moral evil, but we're not just talking about moral evil. We're talking about moral evil and what you had brought up, which was natural evil. And then there's uh, a different formulation of this argument, which you uh, called the evidential problem of evil, which uses something called gratuitous evil. 
to reach similar conclusions, and I won't go into that quite as much because I want to focus on another point, and that's that there are a lot of these theodicies, a lot of these explanations, but they don't necessarily, like, they don't seem to all count the same, right? If you want to look at the difference between the idea of soul, like the, the soul-making theodicy and the free will defense, right? So I guess my question is why don't they all count the same? Well, that, like there's the thing, like that's the question, because when, like, these are all responses to the logical problem of evil. They should all hypothetically work just as well. And the fact that they don't would seem to suggest that there's something a little bit deeper going on here, right? And so the question becomes, like, what is that thing, right? Is it just that human beings are fallible and that we're trying to choose more pleasant solutions? Is it that we're making these arguments, uh, you know, is it that we're seeing these arguments as pieces of apologetics almost? And should they be looked at as pieces of apologetics? And if so, what kind of is the implication for that, right? Yeah. Because even if we accept, uh, even if we accept a theodicy like the free will defense, accepting that theodicy should probably give us different levels of certainty in the idea that God exists, or different levels of uncertainty in the problem of evil than a different theodicy, right? And I think it's. I think it's prudent for us to focus on water, to investigate what that is. So to you, Harrison, what is it about these different theodicies that allow them to be viewed and weighed differently? It's a pretty good question. Um, I guess in response to that, uh, okay, let's, let's just pause it really quick. <laughs> Wait, so... Um, I thought originally we were going to go, you were going to explain the abductual problem of evil, and then I was going to use the uh, skeptical theses to kind of present like, hey, like, abductual problem is, like, pretty solid, but it's not significant enough, you know? But at the same time, like, we can't, like, just take Bergman's, like, total, like, you know, idea that we can't just discredit the abductual problem altogether, you know? Like, there's still something about that that we can, like, pay attention to. Are we still going to get to that, by the way, or are we... I thought we were scrapping the abductual problem and more focusing on the logical problem. Uh, just so that we can dive a little bit deeper, and that does more closely follow like a regular debate format where you're not hopping around from topics as much. Um, I don't know, like we can we can dive into the evidential problem of evil, but like I feel like we're gonna get more mileage out of looking at like the applications of the logical problem. Yeah. Okay. So, I, I don't know. It didn't, like, Joe had suggested cutting it. Uh, I think it'll definitely work out better for time. And I think, like, I really do think there's, there's a lot that we can ask here. Like, I know I, like, I had a huge lead in here, and I, I assume that in the final cut, that's going to have to be broken up and stuff, and that's going to have to have more, at least, rebuttal after it. But, like, I okay. really do think that we can go into the same amount of discussion that we did when looking at the evidential problem and it would be more coherent. So was there a way you're hoping I would kind of uh, retort like what you just suggested? Like you kind of talked about 
Uh, I think you had enough an idea where it's like, tell me like why these, why would you count these like the Odysseys, right? Yeah. Did you want me to actually like start going to the Odysseys right there individually, or like in their, like their value behind them, or what? I'm trying to. Well, I guess that's kind of why I wanted you to. Uh, that's why I said like lean in with uh, like in the introduction cover like those three the Odysseys. And then we expand on that afterwards, right? Like, okay. Like, like that way, we're all on the same like playing field for that, yeah. Okay, so assuming I, I kind of briefly explain each one, uh, should I start right there with Ekstrom at that point? Is that what we're gonna go for right there? I mean, we can talk a lot about it, just Ekstrom in itself, you know. Um. <clears throat> I mean. Sure. So uh, I can't tell that's like diverging from like what you were hopefully intending though. I guess I was thinking of extra more as like a final wrap up point. Like, I I think it would be interesting to talk about like from a theistic standpoint. Like, I don't know. Um, I didn't have any like concrete like direction I was going to go for, honestly. I, I felt kind of somewhat, like, puzzled by... Because um, we, 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 we had a lot thrown at us by Joe, you know, which is good. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm just trying to see, like, what's the best uh, kind of guiding, you know... Yeah, no, I, I forget what he had said. Um, so, like, if we look at... So, I mean, I'm just thinking... Honestly, forget Joe for a second. What would be a good <laughs> response to this? Just in general. Let's just so you don't like, overthink it. What's a response to this? Joe or not Joe? You know? Yeah, no, I'm saying like, <laughs> uh, some of these... Okay, so we're looking at why some of these are more consistent than others. Um... Yeah, I mean, the free will, it's just because it's more comfortable, I think, right? Free will defense is more comfortable because everyone wants to have free will. They want to believe, right? Right, but, like, right, but what about free will makes it more, like, does that just mean that humans are inherently flawed, or, like, is because there a reason? Because when, when free will is taken, right, think about, I would think about, right, when, not to be, but when there were slaves, that you have no free will, right? You have no say over what you're doing. You, no one wants to think like that. I don't want to think like I have no say over what I'm doing tomorrow, whether I'm going to be here, work, even though I have to. I, I can legitimately say, fuck work, you know? And yet you want, you don't believe in heaven. Fair enough. You know, I think that's what it is. Should we, should we include this in the actual debate, by the way? I feel like that would be okay, yeah. No, like, I think this would be a really good way to go with it and, like, explain, like, like kind of break it down and sort of go into, like, what would make some of that more plausible. So, like, provided you had already broken that down, like, go and say, like, let's compare and, you know, I think soul-making. You know, I think... Joe's yeah. example is, like, compare soul-making to a relationship with God. But, like, whatever it is, like, break it down uh, and yeah. kind of, like, give, like, the pros and the cons for each of those. And I think from that, maybe we'll see some sort of, like, pattern, which might be kind of cool. And I think the reason everyone, I, I, I think part of the, the, whatever, the intimacy one is a little bit bullshit. <laughs> bullshit? You know, who 
cares? My relationship with God. 95% of my relationships, whether I have them tomorrow or not, is whatever. Yeah. But so, I mean, I think this is good. Like, we can have Ronnie's kind of give a little more of an opinionistic, you know, sort no, of, yeah. You know, like a human response a lot of these so yeah I think we could like definitely find uh, this, that actually this creates a lot more like discussion yeah, just yeah. no I definitely want to do that <laughs> yeah, cool. just be real about it yeah I, would, I wouldn't swear but <laughs> so um, okay yeah let's I'm liking this, this kind of uh, playing field we're getting at here so let's kind of hash that out um, and then we'll see where that takes us and then uh, assuming we're we get through everything. Let's try to go for like a final take the next time around, and then Definitely. I don't know. Okay. Yeah, we uh, haven't gotten to the end once yet. So I mean, we've gotten up to closing stage almost. <laughs> we haven't done it. I feel one like response away, but like we ended on a kind of strange note on that one. To be fair, yeah, I feel like we really <laughs> need to go end to end. We definitely do. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I agree. Okay, but before we do that, let's at least like break down kind of like what the the points are for like. Oh, I, can we? Why we like the Odysseys? Why we like the Odysseys? Well, I'm just saying. Oh, yeah. Well, I was gonna at, s- at least not improv it. Like that way, we have something to go back to. Uh, I was gonna say the free will was. It's the most comfortable for everyone. I mean, I'm still. That's I keep going back to you. It's very comfortable for humans to think I have free will. Yeah, it is, but there really isn't anything. And then, and humans are com- are creatures of comfort, right? Like I feel, what is the stat? Fifty yeah, percent of humans live eighteen miles away from their mom. That's a real stat. I mean. Rural villages in China, India, and Africa also exist. But no, 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 it's in America. Oh, never mind, my bad. <laughs> Ouch. Alright. Um, I mean, I, I guess maybe? Like, it, it definitely is a more comfortable view. But I love thinking I have free will if whether I'm tonight we're going to be getting out at 2 or before I have to go to work. <laughs> I mean, yeah, but I mean, even if you okay, even if you had knowledge, like, even if you could reach your hand out and grab the knowledge for what this paper was going to look like and shove it into your head, right, and that would let you cut off two hours of your time, which would be like the sort of free will that's being restricted, right? Like, it's us having that opportunity. Like, it's not an opinion. It's not infringing on your free will. It's that, yeah, you have no free will. No, it's not, infri- it's not infringing on your free will. Like, you can still choose to waste your time. Like, well, I don't, like, what do you mean? If the, the, you know exactly how the paper's going to look, when it's going to be done... There is nothing stopping you from saying, you know what, Stone, go fuck yourself, go fuck your schedule, go fuck your sleep, we're staying here until 4, right? You can still freely choose to walk out of here at 2 a.m. as opposed to midnight. You're just more capable of doing No, but the free will defense, it makes you know... There's free. It's like the whole thing. There's free. Yeah, will. I mean, to I be mean, fair, we're still talking about the problem of evil, but we're not talking about the problem of non-belief. But I mean, I feel like the whole thing with the problem of evil is 
Everyone knows there's evil. I mean, it's great in my life. Everyone knows. It's not fucking hurricanes, tsunamis. But the thing is, is everyone also wants to believe in God for some reason. For some reason, most people want to believe in God. Right? All right. So their problem is, okay, how do I get to that point? They need a reason. So some people, it just happens. Right? That's there. They have the feeling, the intuition. And other people don't have it, atheists. And other people choose something. And I feel like those people would most likely grab onto the free will defense because they really want to believe in free will. They would much rather be, have free will than pre like was it, uh, determinists. I suppose, but like, even if it's a more comfortable, popular response, like, it's still not a better reason for believing. Oh, I would agree with that. You know, you know what I mean? Like, oh, I, I mean, I, don't, I think a reason to believe is pretty dumb, but <laughs> <laughs> I absolutely 100% agree with that. I think we're on the same page, though. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's like a solid like two or three minute like sort of you know tangent right there, which is good. Just honestly, really good. You know, yeah. just for that. So we got Gron incorporated in there. Got you got some spice in the yeah. this podcast. So like, yeah, uh, let's keep going with that then. So then after that, um, what kind of point? Seems like we kind of both agree. Then, um, do we want to transition on to the next theodicy then? So I'd be like, well, okay, and maybe you're not buying can free we, will. And all honestly, that. can we just cut that into our final? <laughs> That was honestly, I felt awesome. <laughs> All right. All right, sorry. <laughs> we can just do that again. We probably might have to because we're talking about like, or you guys were talking about free will in the context of like a paper, you know? So maybe yeah. like think of like a, talk about, talk about like your part-time job, you know, more than. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah, yeah, because we've used like the example of like <laughs> this project, like wait a second, like are they actually like. <laughs> That's true, I forgot. Just like the fourth wall. <laughs> But, what do yeah. you think, Joseph? You know? <laughs> <laughs> oh, Jesus, What do you think, Joe? <laughs> what should Ron no do? Joe? Great. Let's see. Okay, cool. Um, but, uh, yeah, so, like, on to on the other theodicies, I guess. Mm-hmm. Are we going to explore each one like this? Yeah, I think that'd be a pretty yeah. good way. And we still have two more, so then I'm be like, all right, well, okay, okay. Maybe you're not buying the whole free will defense. I get it. I get it. Well, how about this? Like, the idea of, you know, the fact that God really does, as we know, like, want that relationship with us, right? If he's omnipotent and all-powerful, he surely is all-loving, right? So, <clears throat> might introduce, you know, Laura Ekstrom here, who, once again, going back to the idea that's a partial theodicy, um, it's not a full... Defense, you know, I mean, it is a fence, but once again, it's not a full, how should I put it? Gosh dang it. It's not a full explanation of how, like, evil and God can coexist. So, all right. Let's hop right into it. Uh, one second. Okay, so, <clears throat> how about this? Uh, the idea that evil and suffering in the world actually allows one to perceive, understand, or know God better. And, you know... Ekstrom here identifies three kind of re- religious experiences, either perceiving God, um, experiencing what God experiences, and becoming more conscious about God's existence or nature. 
And suffering also counts as, like said, religious experience, as we know. And that might account for a lot of the evils that we know of. So, all right. Uh, she kind of gives a little bit of support for her argument with the idea of what we call divine passability. Um, you're probably wondering what that is. So, divine passability is how God, um, all good and all powerful as he is, actually enters into the suffering that we have. Um, and here's the idea. Here's the catch. So... Not only this allows for God to just show that he's kind of on our side a bit, but I think this allows for a connection much more greater than we can understand. So let's talk about the idea about this relationship. Can I ask a question real quick? I'm just wondering, how does God suffer if he is all-powerful and all-knowing all this, all that? Yeah, so I mean, just think about it. Like, you know, as the most powerful being and the most powerful or all-knowing being out there, um, at the same time, uh, he is arguably the most empathetic, able to understand our suffering to any degree that probably we understand our own suffering, you know. And I think with that, um, if, you know, the idea that if you truly love someone or something, you will not only, like, you know, want to understand them better, but be in their position as well, you know. So Walk for God to do that. Yeah, exactly. Precisely. And I think, like, when we think about, you know, okay, the, um, you hear about those preachers on the diet talking about, all right, if you don't not going to believe in God, you know, you're going to hell, you know, but it's much more than that. I think Ekstrom's suggesting something really great here, um, not even just any relationship we can think of with, like, you know, for example, our family or even a significant other, but with the divine creator himself, you know, um, this is the idea of that divine relationship, one that kind of transcends our, like, kind of moral idea of just, like, wow, um, a simple connection with another human being, so... I want to hear, like, you know, you guys' thoughts on that. Like, does that not sound, like, pretty radical, you know? Um, I don't know. I'll let you go first, though. Thank you. I I think it's nice, but I think it really does depend on what values you want to hold, right? Uh, You're kind of looking at, like, the practical upshot of, this soul making of the Odyssey being that, like, we have, uh, like, A, it gives us a reason to believe in God, but, like, B, we get, like, a quick and easy map to moral development, right? Like, we all want to be good and moral people for the most part, and so if we can accept this and we can treat this as true, then maybe that might give us some new insight into, like, how we can more reliably and consistently develop, which would obviously be great. But if you look at the uh, divine intimacy defense, right, then I think you find a similar sort of upshot, right? And so if you want to think about, like, what good is coming to a relationship with God or what good is coming to a relationship with God versus becoming a moral person, right? Um, this is obviously something that's going to change depending on what exactly your personal uh, religious views are, but I think most of these would agree that like a relationship with God would be a, a positive thing, but not just a positive thing in like the way that knowing a celebrity or the president of not the United States... Or you may say a parent... Right, or a parent is right, where there's like cons- where there's like benefits. But I think a lot of these would say that there's something inherently valuable about that connection. Obviously, that would come 
partially through like the things that God could do for you, but I think it's which should be get rid of all the evils because he is all powerful, all this, all that. Well, I mean, even like on a deeper level than that, like I think it's not a huge stretch to say that a relationship with a perfect being would be a very beneficial state to be in. Right? Absolutely, I would love to be in one of those relationships. Right, like I. <laughs> Right. Like, beyond, I like, truly, I think it would be a good in a, a lot of ways. I mean, Harrison might still be at Michigan State. I mean, maybe even Michigan. <laughs> Don't know about that one, Harrison. <laughs> Sorry. Um, right, but when we can see those upshots, I, I think here's where we can get into a question of we're looking at epistemology is going to help us. Cause can you explain the upshot for us real quick? Yeah, so the, uh, the upshot of the divine intimacy theory is kind of we can eventually have a perfect relationship, right? Like that would give you a sense of fulfillment that would be very hard to achieve. So upshot is like your conclusion. Life. The conclusion? The, the upshot? The upshot's kind of like what you gain from accepting okay. a view, right? Alrighty. So like this accomplishes a goal of refuting resolution of evil, right? But it also gives us some other things, like the hypothetically the reason why we would choose one theodicy over another to believe personally would be because we find the upshots yep. to be more favorable. Absolutely, I, not to cut you off. No, not to cut you off. Um, but no, like obviously though, there are a huge amount of ways to break down like what constitutes a good response. And there are a lot of ways to examine a good response. And I think a really interesting way that we can examine this is through like objective uh Bayesianism, right? Which suggests that we adjust the credences or like the level of certainty that we hold in positions based on probable they are, right? Or you can get a very different set of conclusions if you want to choose another method of determining which actions you could take, like for instance, maximizing expected utility, right? So kind of Harrison, to you, I would be kind of curious to know like A, where you stand on like A, which is more useful, maximizing expected utility or Using uh, prior probability. I'm sorry, I can't remember the epistemology. Yeah. Can um, can we just stop here for a second yeah. so we can get some more uh, explanation on Bayesian theory and. Uh... Yeah, sorry. So uh, to to the Bay to the Bayesian, roughly, we have a lot of beliefs, but they're not all created. Right. Oh, that's I, have a, I have a different level of belief that Michigan is going to win the OSU game this year. 100%. Hopefully. Every right. time, every year. Exactly, 100%. Versus my belief that I'm going to get some sleep tonight, which is like a 30 right now. I right? would concur with that. And so when we look at how critically we should believe something or like how important we should hold a piece of evidence to be when we're making a decision. The idea is that we use the idea of how likely something is you know, to work out or how likely it is to occur when we're reaching that end. 
And then how do we apply that to maximizing utility? Expected utility, I should say. Um, so maximizing expected utility is <coughs> a way of combining these sorts of credences and like certainty. Excuse me, maximizing expected utility is a way of choosing what decisions to reach by examining the upshots to each choice depending on whether or not uh, a given set of circumstances comes about, right? So on a very basic level, you're doing some math to basically say which is going to give me the most benefit whether or not things go the way I want them to, right? Yeah, absolutely. And so, um, again, like I guess the question to you, Harrison, is like, which of these is a more important uh, method to, uh, you know, for choosing our beliefs or for choosing our actions? And what, like, argument do you think makes the most sense given that, uh, you know, that view? <clears throat> I suppose we would. Um, I'm trying to remember. So I'm, I'm glad you brought up that, that aspect because I think like that was a big thing generally emphasized. How did he suggest I respond to that? Were we going to go with the whole like leaning towards the um, expected goods sort of thing, or because I think I think you can do this however you want. Like objectively, I don't think it really matters because these like these are like these are subjective things. Yeah, yeah I, I would mean? I would say maximize expected utility because person to person, you would definitely see it fluctuate, but but that's just me. All right, so let's, let's kind of go with that. Um, and then from there, I can explain, like, you know, uh, John Hicks, soulmate. I think, that would go for I think what you could do is in this person... Whatever floats your boat. Sure. You could yeah. do the martyr thing. You could bring up, like... Do we want to... What time are we at right now? Oh, dude, I, I think it's been... Uh, we're about like 39, but keep in mind we have, like... A, uh, actually, no, we're at 42 with... That's probably, like, 10 minutes. We're forty-two. Let's ex let's assume ten minutes of waffling. We still haven't even gotten into non-belief. Like, well, it doesn't matter how long over we go. No, like that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Is like, ultimately, I don't think like we don't need to break these all down. Like, whatever to you sounds good for like how to end things. Like, yeah, I was just saying you probably could if you wanted to bring up the Columbine thing where, but that is probably five minutes right there. Yeah, I like and that is like just super minute. Yeah, that's the thing. Is I'm wondering if it's not too deep of a dive. Yeah. Like, it, it, no, it's yeah. like a really good yeah. point to bring up. Uh, yeah, so I thought so, whatever. I thought you this a mini series. <laughs> the Invisible Door to God, episode yeah. one. I don't know. You guys want to meet bi-weekly throughout? The no, I love <laughs> you guys. You know, you want to grab some drinks or something fine, but we ain't doing this. <laughs> he said, uh, he said, nah, fuck you. <laughs> I'm just so done with this bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty much how I am. Like, hell no, this is one and only. <laughs> No, that's right. right. Um, so yeah, let's just assume I go with, you know, uh, I think once again, I'm going to go with, uh, all right, you know, David Lewis, okay, maybe you don't buy the whole Lorex drum. She gives a little crappy of a defense there, and... I think a little bit of a theodicy, just a full explanation about why God does that. So that's a little bit of a um, bar a little bit too high to reach here. So how about we go with, uh, let's, let's look at uh, John Hicks, um, Soul Naked Theodicy right here. Okay, that, 
Um, even though it's a theodicy, I think it might be a proper middle ground that we can kind of reach to there. Um, <clears throat> all right, so let's, let's look at expect utilities. All right, well, okay, I'll just kind of just hurry this along. But basically, yeah. All right, uh, perhaps there is um, a reason or a purpose in terms of, you know, uh, that God has for us. And I think that's what we can call a theological argument right there, and which is what John Hay provides for us here. And I think he's suggesting that there is a expected sort of like goodness with um, that comes from evil in itself. So real quick, are you explaining this again, or are you going over the upshots? Uh, I don't think you need to really. Oh yeah, really explain it. Yeah. Yeah, like, yeah. Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah, yeah, so I was going through the upshots one more time. So, yeah, once again, like, we're looking at the idea that, okay, we got evil, and we're just wondering, well, why can't we just be, like, instead of these goods? And, you know, let's look at the the fact that these evils produce, like, these sort of virtuous goods, we'll call them, you know, that can't be just, you know, just naturally sort of uh, programmed into us. So, I would say, hey, like, evil does have a strong purpose in this world that God has given us, you know? I mean... Perhaps you can't know entirely what it is, but it seems like it does produce. It, it can produce a lot of like essential character building that we might not be able to just kind of um, get outside from development. I would right. say. And so and how? Then, oh, and I was gonna say, how does that um, have to do? How does that like uh, have to do with the maximizing expected utility or Bayesian theory? Cause like on a, on a personal note, like the I think a really huge upside to the soul making theodicy is that to an atheist, right? Mm-hmm. I think it's a, a bigger leap to the goodness of a relationship with God. That That's right. Yeah, you mentioned. That. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So like, I'll, I'll, again, I can emphasize that part. Yeah. Right. Just take that and run with it, because like honestly, that's entirely something that I agree with you know what I mean like from a from a maximizing expected utility standpoint like it is a better atheistic uh, yeah um, point. so that might be a really good way to end it and then like we can segue to non-belief and that would be a pretty good way to wrap the whole thing up okay yeah let's uh alright so we got stone here that's, sorry, I was trying to just lead you to it because <laughs> I was just like you didn't really get to the ma- expected utility part that's how right yeah so let's uh okay let's assume uh, all right, yeah, so Stone, maybe that idea of like a religious sort of relationship with the Lord himself isn't the best thing for you. I got to say, man, personal account seems pretty great for me. You're missing out. But hey, like I think, you know, John Hicks pointed something here that we can all probably find valuable, and that is like this development of virtue, you know. Um, I think any atheist or theist himself, like the idea of building up this sort of um, goodness that, can come from, you know, that sort of polishing, you know, as they say, you know, the finest gold comes from the, like, the, the hottest furnace, you know. Um, I don't know, what, what are your thoughts on that, man? It's like... <clears throat> um, personally, I, like, I agree with you that if we want to maximize expected utility, that... No, like, I agree. Uh, if we want to maximize, maximize expected utility, English motherfucker. Huh. Um, if we want to, uh, if we want to maximize expected utility, then it is more pragmatic for the atheist. It is more persuasive for the atheist to uh, to adopt the soul making theodicy than it is for the atheist to adopt the divine intimacy theodicy. And 
I think that there are kind of two reasons for this, right? Like, A, like this whole debate we've been talking about, kind of like what makes a good argument, and not to slide away from this so much, but when we look at the divine intimacy uh, model, I think we really do need to question just how seriously we should take that, given how distant God is as a being in most people's lives, right? Like, there's something called the problem of divine hiddenness, which is really similar in structure to the uh, to the argument from evil and the logical argument from evil. And it goes that God, you know, God is all-knowing, all-powerful, and all-good, right? From that, we can assume that God wants to have a relationship with each and every one of us, right? We know that God doesn't have a relationship with each and every one of us right now, and we know that there are people in the world who don't have a relationship with God for no other reason than that they're not sure that he exists, right? And so when we look at this, we find that there's this logical contradiction because these people who wouldn't or who would believe if they just knew that God exists are missing out on this great and terrible, like on this great good, right? They're missing out on one of God's truly greatest gifts to know Him, something that was so important that uh, the extra one ahead and made or you know made an entire argument about it, and this concept is just. I should just use the old intro. That's fine so far. All right, fair. Um, yeah, no, so Ekstrom is really focused around creating, or around doubling down on the idea that a relationship with God isn't good of its own right, but it's not a good that everyone seems capable of obtaining, right? Okay. And so, to Harrison, I guess the question for you kind of coming out of this transition is... Uh, you know, I, I think that we need to ask how well these theodicies line up with reality as part of, you know, how we grade them. So kind of, like, what role do you think that should play? And what problem, like, where does that leave, you know, like, how does that affect your position dealing with the problem of non-belief? Defining this. <laughs> Um, shit, it's pretty good. <laughs> uh, let's see. So, all right, from there. Uh, did we want to end there, by the way? Or did like, I should probably at least like, say something? Well, I can, well, I was like, well, um, I can say something. Yeah, that's probably, probably be a good time. I mean, are you, you going to say something to end this or are you going to say something in response to that? I was going to say something in response to that. Oh, yeah, like, we really are over. I mean, should we just cut? Like, should I, like, scrap everything about non-belief and just wrap up with closing statements at that point? Like, are we really, like, I mean, now we've got to be 45, 47. Oh, we're definitely, like, pretty far out. We're at 51 here, so. Minus 10, 12 minutes. Yeah. And plus, like, we didn't really fully explain some of the things here and there as well. I don't Um, think it really matters. I'd rather do a good job, try to scoop the egg. Because yeah. <laughs> so, I don't think at this point we don't have to go into that. Yeah, yeah. And honestly, like I, I didn't plan on too much changing from the free will defense. So like, yeah, 
obviously, we want to cut here, wait for 20 minutes, you know, clear our heads, come back, flesh out like the last 10 or you guys so want to go get some food? Nope. No? Yeah. I should just ate, so you know. Oh, sorry, man. <laughs> yeah. But no, feel get something. Like, I mean, did you not eat yet? Or? I just went home, showered, I'm done, came here pretty much. Yo, get something. Yeah, get something. Yeah. Bring down the south, you were Pancheros. I probably just go to my car. I have really old grilled cheese in my car, so that's free. <laughs> Fair enough. All right. It's honestly not worth it. I'll just stay here until we finish. You sure? Yeah, I just want to finish this bullshit. Okay. Be real. Um, so we got to think about still, like, you know, like, closing statements. How do you want to do so that? So I was just going to say here, just so you know, the Laura Buchet thing. Oh, yeah. I think it would be a perfect place here. Like, God wants to stay hidden, so we have faith in him. Yeah, and no, I can reuse the canvas launch from last time for that. Yeah, and I also, I think the perfect place to end is the fireman exam. Analogy. That's the thing. It's like I want. I really run, want that I to want be in here. Rushing to the fireman <laughs> analogy, but like we need to get to free will. We need to like at least back and forth a little bit about free will before we get to that. I so. just think it's the best ending. I don't know a better ending than the fireman. I mean, I could. Okay, I could make the fireman. I could make the fireman analogy my closing point. Die. Not hit non-belief at all, but then. I guess my closing statement would be something kind of like when we look at the problem of evil and we combine that with the fact that God's existence is like this highly debatable thing, we find, you know, we find examples of God not doing or not taking actions to benefit human beings because they won't benefit all human beings, insert fireman analogy, and then either transition to you for uh, your closing statement or you would have gone first and then we wrapped up with uh, that. I'm trying to think about what my closing statement should be. Would it be good to use like the skeptical theses perhaps? Like the goods that we know are not representative like you know um, did you bring up the skeptical thesis? We did. Uh, we did. I mean, not not during this thing, but to Joe at least. And he, like... Uh, if you hadn't bring it up so far, I would not bring up yeah, the information. Yeah, like, that's I really think we can just keep... Like, I would rather cover fewer topics and still get through that whole narrative. Oh, you know, that's a good idea. Because I still think, like, things are still at a pretty layman level. Oh, I think it's been really good. Yeah. I honestly think it's been, like, my mom would understand. Pretty much. <laughs> yeah, no, like, really, she, even though she's a Russian immigrant, I think she's too, pretty much understand it. No, I think we struck a really good balance here. Okay. So, uh, and then, yeah, you think about how you want to close off the uh, the podcast itself. You know, do you have like an outro sort of deal? I'm gonna be like, all right, well, thank you, Stone. Thank you, Harrison. Thank you, uh, Michigan Ugly, and Room One Forty Eight, um, and our boss Phil Two Sixty Two, for. Uh, this 40 minute podcast we're going to be back next week with epistemology and stone and harrison are going to be back here but um for me um that's going to be it um thank you and have a nice night be safe on the road click it or ticket it. all right, um, all right. <laughs> and then like we don't want to like we don't use Hello, and welcome back to the Invisible Door to God podcast. Today, our two guests are ready to wage philosophical war or a coffee shop brawl as they debate the problem of evil and argue over divine hiddenness. Today, I'm very excited to introduce my colleague, my friend, my epistemic peer, who also loves Vince McMahon, 
This is Stone the Mason. Austin, he will pound his atheistic belief right through your head. I'm just joking. Stone today will be arguing for the side of the atheist. Arguing for the theistic side is Harrison New Ford Fang. He will motor down new roads of the proverbial theistic highway. The problem of evil is a question of how to accommodate God and his omnipotence, omnibenevolence, and omniscience with evil. That is, that the existence of evil in the world either proves or lowers the probability of theism. Another piece of philosophy that shall be discussed today is divine hiddenness. This is an idea that since God is all-loving, he would want to have a relationship with all humans. But since some humans are unaware of God, this seems to create a problem for the theist, as the holy, loving, and holy good God doesn't have a relationship with all hum humans. So, Stone, as a Vince McMahon follower, lover, and shall I say, mm, patriarch, I will ask you to tell me a little bit more about yourself. Well, Ron, um, as, a, as a Vince McMahon lover, first of all, I don't think we're epistemic peers quite. Wow. Um, second of all, despite that, I'm glad to be here. For those of you who don't know, I am Stone Cold Steve Austin, six-time World Wrestling Federation champion, and nobody, not even Vince McMahon, is going to stop me. Mm -hmm. Not tonight, not ever. Watch out, Harrison. But if God stands in your way... He hasn't yet. Okay, well, we'll find out tonight. Harrison, can you tell us a little bit more about yourself? Uh, I mean, you know, I'm just chilling here, and uh, I've just been chilling this past week and this past summer. Um, so, I mean, yeah, I like, uh, used to be at the school of uh, Michigan State University, and worst school ever, dude, let me tell you. I actually dropped out and just because I like, wasn't doing so hot in a philosophy course, and can't find a job, you know, my parents are not talking to me anymore, uh, my girlfriend left me, but, I mean, hey, you know, I still have God, right, still have a love of Jesus Christ himself, so I mean, yeah, self-proclaimed theist, and, um, yeah, I just kind of want to see, like, if I can just maybe convince you guys that Jesus is the real deal, and we can just believe in God and his existence as well, so, yeah, what do you say? All right, well, I just... Let me get this straight, Harrison. So you dropped out of Michigan State because of a failed philosophy course, and then you agreed to come on a philosophy podcast? Well, you know, it's ridiculous and all, but I think I know a thing or two, so I'd like to see if I can put up a stone here. All right, well, I think we're going to head over to uh, Stone Cold. Um, <laughs> what can you tell us about... Uh, the relationship, or I should say, the coexistence of evil with God, in your opinion. Yeah, so uh, the position I'm going to be arguing for here today is called the, the logical problem of evil. Right? And the logical problem of evil is an argument that says that God doesn't exist because God's nature needs to, uh, needs to be in conflict with the presence of evil in the world. Right? Um, First, let's, uh, let's establish that there is, in fact, significant evil in the world, right? Uh, I'm not meaning anything different between evil and significant evil uh, as well. So, when I say that there's evil in the world, I just mean that people suffer, 
crimes happen, people are poor and starving and suffer from mental health issues, they are in pain. Wherever we look, there are instances of wrongs, be they human, uh, be they caused uh, one human to another, be they caused by nature, or be they just random acts, it would seem. And so for now, I'm going to focus on kind of the more or scrap. And so I'm, my question for you, Stone, is how do the, these evils uh, interfere with God and his traits? Yeah, sure. So uh, let's ask like, what God is. God is an omniscient, omnipotent, omnibenevolent being, right? And so an omniscient being is all-powerful, an omnipotent being, or excuse me, an omniscient being is all-knowing, an omnipotent being is all-powerful, and an omnibenevolent being is perfectly loving. And so let's examine kind of the consequences of those three properties, right? Um, first, let's look at omnibenevolence. Omnibenevolence means that God is going to be the most moral person imaginable, right? And from that, I don't think it's unreasonable to extrapolate that God would want to oppose any evil that he can find uh, as far as he can work to oppose it, right? Now, God is also omniscient, and so that means that God knows of all evil everywhere. And so when we combine these two, we're left that God is going to be... God is going to seek to counter all evil that he can, right? Because he is all-powerful, all-knowing. Right. Yeah. We're just removing the extra qualifiers from yeah. that definition. Sure. So when we add again the idea that God is omni, uh, omnipotent, then we get that God can solve all evil. Because, of course, if God can do anything he wants to, and if he wants to stop all evil, then God will stop all evil. Right? Yeah. And so for this reason, I don't think that the presence of evil in the world is consistent with God. This would at least, to me, constitute evidence that God may not exist. So to you, Harrison, um, what do you think of God's role in kind of this moral state of, of affairs? What is God doing with allowing evil to persist? Stone here brings up a lot of valid points, and um, you know I've been kind of questioning this world in itself too. I think we all have. Um, I mean, the day I decided to go to MSU and the day I left, I was like, like God, like yeah, why am I kind of suffering like this? You know, it seems kind of just like, is there actually any goodness in that? But you know what? I I want to just tell Stone, hey, like I just believe in the Lord's plan and everything's gonna work out. Um, here, let's let's go on his playing field. Let's kind of present some. Uh, possible like defenses for that so i'm gonna give a little um good number of theodicies here and a couple of models just maybe like hey like that could might just explain a bit uh, about like kind of why god allows for evil exists um in this world okay so yeah <clears throat> once again okay like stone points out that sort of contradiction of like uh all loving all powerful god and this idea of like this evil that exists in the world that we all recognize and we all know of so all right, the first kind of theodicy I want to lay out is actually... Now, oh. you're throwing out this word of uh, theodicy here. Now, would you mind uh, explaining that for me? Oh, yeah. No, I got you. So, theodicy being like an explanation uh, for God, you know. So, all right, once again, 
we had the idea of this sort of contradiction, like, well, why is God allowing uh, these evils to exist? And a theosophy might be able to kind of just provide some kind of explanation right there. Right. So, yeah, so the first one to look into uh, is the um, divine intimacy part of the theodicy um, by Laura Ekstrom. So Ekstrom here actually says that, hey, perhaps there is more than just um, suffering that exists in the world, but that actually can result in a possible experience that is actually good in itself. So what she's talking about is this idea of divine intimacy. All right, so keep in mind this is just a model, uh, a model being something where it's not a, <clears throat> it's not full evidence uh, of why God would allow for this, uh, more of his existence necessarily. But hey, like this gives us sort of a representation of possible reality. So, all right, um, Ekstrom here identifies three kinds of religion ex religious experiences we can have to perceive, understand, know God better, which includes, like I mentioned, perceiving God, experiencing God, what, experience what God experiences, or becoming more conscious about God's existence or nature. And she includes suffering. So, hey, like that's where the idea of evil is kind of implemented there. Uh, suffering also counts as a religious experience um, in regards to that. So it almost seems like uh, your suffering is supposed to help you build in character. Yeah, exactly. And I think like she's ultimately leading that, hey, like this can help us um, essentially form an actual relationship with a divine himself, you know. Okay. Yeah, it's almost a means to build that relationship. Like, this suffering is what you have to have for yeah. a relationship. I mean, you know the saying, like, no pain, no gain, right? And Absolutely. I think, yeah, like, uh, love hurts, right? Yeah, so you have to walk go. a mile in someone else's shoes. Precisely. So the next thing I want to bring up is also uh, John, John Hicks' uh, soul-making theodicy as well, um, where he also kind of tries to suggest the possible intentions of God himself. So he offers a what we call like a teleological argument, being like, okay, well, what is God's purpose for us as human beings? That's a great question, right? And uh, essentially, there's an a, essential virtue that is gained that he claims that it comes from suffering itself. Um, and a good parent, you want to kind of see your kids, not necessarily like be like the best thing ever as they come out, but you know, perhaps like it's there's a merit in watching them kind of develop and transition and grow over time, you know? Uh, there is like a like what he calls like a virtue behind that, and you know as the saying goes, like hey, all right, well, like learning from your mistakes. Yeah, exactly, and yeah. you know like you can't have gold unless you're really being put in the furnace for a while, you know. So hey, uh, that's another thing we got right there. And lastly, hey, I mean, um, we all know good old Alan Planinga, personal favorite of mine. He offers the free world defense, and you know the free world defense, like um. I think that's something that's really valuable. Uh, he's talking about the idea of, well, basically, well, why do we have a world in which there's no good and evil? Well, perhaps um, it's mostly because of us, maybe not as much from God. Main idea is that, well, okay, a, a world where in which, you know, human beings are allowed to have sig like morally significant freedoms, essentially where they can choose to either perform um, a morally good or bad action, that's actually more valuable and more, like, that can result in more goodness than a world where there's no significant freedom at all. But I guess my question to that is why couldn't God just allow us to always make the right decision in those um, actions? Like when we have a decision of free will, those actions will always be the correct action. 
Yeah, I'm glad you bring that up. Um, yeah, like it seems like, well, okay, well, there's free will, but why can't we only have the free will to do only good things? And, you know, that's when planning brings up the idea of what we call trans will depravity, which kind of probably explains, well, okay, um, God actually can't create a world where ages only perform morally good actions, you know? And any actualizable world where, let's say, like, okay, how about a world where there's only good people, you know? But that just can't happen. God, you know, God can't just create a world like that. There has to be at least, like, one world with at least, like, just one guy, or one person, rather, performing at least one morally bad thing, you know? And So, okay. I think, uh, so, like, in any world that God actualizes, I will, or any human will make a mistake, morally significant mistake. That's correct, yeah. And, you know, that does not threaten the idea of God's omnipotence whatsoever. Right, so, I don't know, I just kind of gave, like, you know, three sort of you know, explanations of possibly why evil exists in this world, and um, I'm like, yeah, like, yeah, what Stone has to say about that. Yeah, I mean, I would, uh, I would like to, too. I mean, it seems like trans world depravity was a big part in your life, Harrison, but... Uh, I don't know about Stone, so I think we're gonna just see if Stone has anything in response to the free world defense. Uh, yeah. I I suppose when we look at the free will defense, we um, we find that some instances of moral evil, right, evil which comes about by the actions or inactions of human beings, could be explained, right, because God wants us to act freely. And there are plenty of theodicies that uh, establish these sort of convincing grounds for why God could want evil to occur. But a lot of those don't take into account necessarily all the types of evil. Uh, for instance, the, the free will defense doesn't take into account certain instances of natural or especially gratuitous evil. Uh, gratuitous evil is something that only comes up in something called the evidential problem of evil, which is a little bit different, and I won't necessarily jump into here today. Um, but there are ways to respond to those, and I'm, I'm not trying to dismiss what you're saying. Given how many theodicies there are, though, I think it's really uh, important that we ask how we can differentiate and weigh the effectiveness of these different uh, explanations, right? Because despite the fact that all of these theodicies are just trying to disprove the same, uh, the same argument, they all seem to be important to us in different ways, right? Which shouldn't necessarily matter. Any theodicy which explains why God could want evil does the job of refuting the problem, and yet we still seem to consider them important for other reasons, right? And so this is really weird, and that suggests that, like, A, there is an underlying reason for it, but B, that underlying reason is kind of rooted more in the truth of this issue, right? And so, Harrison, I'd be kind of very curious to see what you think about how we respond to that. Um, oh, fuck. I mean, if I can jump in here real quick, Stone, I have some thoughts about this stop do you want to take a break no, no, no. okay if I um, some thoughts about this. I think the whole issue is rooted in our comfort where our, our comfort is light in um, I think honestly it roots back into God I mean 
these traits, omni omniscience, omnibenevolence, um, omnipotence, it's all about comfort for us, knowing someone above, there is someone above us at all times. Um, you, there is no most powerful man or woman on earth because there's always someone above us. That's, I, I think, some somewhat comforting. Uh, yeah, it might be comforting, but it might not be. It, something can be comforting without being philosophically valid, right? Uh, the interesting, like, the the popular understanding can latch on to some things which aren't as philosophically rigorous, or they can miss points that can be really profound from a philosophical perspective. So, what I was talking about when I was saying we, we weigh these things kind of differently, I mean that we might look at these different perspectives under, like, uh, Bayesian confirmation theory, right? And we might get credences out of these. Um, roughly, kind of that idea is we're looking at these ideas and we're saying how likely is it that any of these circumstances is going to come about, right? Mm -hmm. And then we're going to use that in part of our reasoning from here on out. Or you could go um, a different route and you could evaluate these based on their expected utility. Um, so expected utility is a type of math comparing how likely you think something is with how much good it's going to do you. And then you attempt to pick the option which is going to give you the most benefit regardless of whether or not a, a given action is going to occur, right? You want the best choice in either possible world. Now, could you also explain Bayesian theory? You also just... Pop that in there. Uh, yeah, Bayesian theory says that the amount of confidence that we should have in our beliefs is different, right? We believe, uh, we, we attach different amounts of belief to say the idea that Michigan is going to win the OSU football game this year, right? Which is obviously 100% true from the odds of me getting some sleep tonight, which is at like a 20. Well, lower. Right. And so, uh, obviously, like, we should be differently sure about these things, and we should treat them as different types of certainty when we're making, you know, interactions with the world. I'm not going to be as likely to bet that I'm going to uh, go to sleep tonight as I am that Michigan's going to win, right? Mm -hmm. And so, to you, Harrison, kind of given these sorts of perspectives, what do you think is the most important of these arguments or what's the most interesting of these arguments evaluated under what context? Like, what's the maximal upside for your, uh, for your position? So almost like, how much would you put stake on each of these not, theodicies? Not really. I'm, I'm more asking what... I'm more asking which, like, what method of evaluating propositions you find to be most useful, and given that model, which of the theodicies you put forward is most persuasive to the atheists, uh -huh. right? I see your point. I see your point. You know, when I um, kind of touched on these uh, explanations here, these three, you know, in my philosophy course at MSU, like, I just kind of ate them up, you know, and I uh, really was pretty convinced, um, you know, still not sure why I was kicked out of the university, but, you know, who cares about them, you know, to help them. Anyways, all right, so let's look back at, you know, uh, free will defense. Um, 
Let's look at the uh, expect utilian that, you know, I would argue that there is a lot of merit behind free will that, that we can kind of just take for granted. Um, <clears throat> you know, honestly, like to have God actualize the world for us, you know, in which once again, uh, this, a world in which we're allowed to even perform these like significantly morally wrong actions is still valuable enough to the fact that we have free will. Um, I can I can kind of see that in a way, you know, um, and I don't think that could have occurred, you know, or I can't hear what I'm saying right now at this point. Um, shoot, we'll pause right there. Uh, <clears throat> give me a second. <laughs> Weren't we gonna talk about soul making? We were, we were, but um, I should probably talk about the expected utility of free will. Yeah, and then you also you can also still have your argument too. Like you can give you kind of bad wagon off that. Remember we did last time. Yeah, that's sure. what I thought we were gonna do. To be quite honest, we will. So like I'll I'll touch about it a bit, and you can go. Yeah, like that sounds pretty good to me. You know, so okay, <laughs> yeah. Um. All right. So let's kind of scrap what I just said. Let's start from. Let's pretend you just ended. All right. So, reason right there. Yeah. So um. Okay. I see your point, Stone. Let's let's look at expect utilities, you know, and um, especially like with the idea of free will, okay, which I think is something that we really don't consider too heavily, um, especially like, hey, you know, we're university students, and to be quite frank, like, hey, like, well, I mean, I was a university student, you guys are still pretty lucky, but anyways, you know, we're still pretty privileged out there. I think we actually have a lot of rights, a lot of freedom, especially within the U.S., but... You know, what would, it, what would it be like to have not no free will whatsoever, you know? I don't think many of us really think about that. Like, what are your, what are your thoughts on that, Ron? I, I would say having free will is definitely something I enjoy. Having the knowledge of no one controls me. I do what I want. Even though knowing that I know that isn't something I can actually know. I think that is also a little bit vague because I can't really know I'm in control of everything uh, I don't know if that's something you'd like to comment on as well so um, yeah I'll kind of jump off of that uh, when we look at kind of the upshots to free will I think it's something that again makes us really comfortable but I'm not sure if it provides as as much of an upshot as something like the, the soul-making of the Odyssey, right? Um, as an atheist, I think, you know, it's really important that human beings behave morally, right? And so the soul-making of the Odyssey, to me, if it were to be accepted, um, kind of has the upshot that if it's true, I now have a solid roadmap for how to develop moral character, right? Or if we want to look at the, um, the divine intimacy uh, explanation, the upshot to that might be something like a relationship with God is good not just because God is a really powerful individual, right, and we're going to benefit materialistically, from a relationship with God. So what I'm hearing is the fact that it seems like the free will defense has a very negative upshot. The fact that it's just like, well, everyone does bad things, really. 
it's just natural to do bad. Well, it's it's not it's not that that has a bad upshot. I I just don't like. I think it's more comfortable in the accepting the. Fr- I think it's more comfortable than practical in the accepting the free will defense doesn't give us as big of an upshot. There's an upshot. It's in, not as far as I believe. Right. It, it might be really good for you to be comfortable at night that your actions aren't being uncaused, but. I think that there's more of an upshot from, again, having a consistent roadmap for how to develop moral character or entering into a sort of hyper-beneficial relationship with God, right? Uh, Again, God is kind of this morally perfect being, and so we would expect that not only, like, would God be good to anyone he was in a relationship with, but a relationship with God would be an intri- a tremendous intrinsic and personal good of itself, right? It would be a perfect relationship and something that we would all really want to engage in. Yeah, but we don't see many of these benefits ever. Right, and I mean, that's a huge problem in and of itself. God is, uh, God's hidden for a lot of, uh, yeah. from a lot of people, right? Yeah. Yeah, I feel like Harrison might uh, not really have found God yet, but uh, that's a separate topic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But away from Harrison and kind of getting back to this idea of divine hiddenness and the idea that really, like, a lot of people don't know that God exists, right? If we think that God is, again, an omniscient, omnipotent, all-knowing being, all-loving being, excuse me, then he's going to want to have relationships with us, right? He should if he really wants the best for us. Right, and that's a really important thing. That's why Extra makes the divine intimacy the Odyssey, because that's a hugely important thing. It honestly seems like it's just like this exclusive group for this people. For everyone else, it's like on the outside looking in, like, what am I missing? Yeah, no, definitely. There are a lot of people who through no fault of their own, right, don't have a relationship with God. And these sorts of people aren't the sort of people who are actively rejecting God or don't want a relationship with God or don't think that a relationship with God is beneficial for them. These are people who just aren't convinced that God exists. These are like agnostic people. Uh, Agnostics, but also theists of denominations. You know, these might be people who... (coughs) know that there's a religion called Christianity, view it to be as alien as, you know, we view cannibalistic tribes in the Congo, right? Uh, Again, look at, like, how frequently the religion that you believe in in is dependent on where you grew up, right? Yeah. I think I would definitely agree to that. Right, and so when we look at this, I think there really is that question of, is God doing everything in his power, right, to connect with us? Or is God connecting with us in a good way? I would uh, definitely have to ponder that. I mean, maybe it's Sunday morning every morning for uh, God, because he can do whatever he wants, it seems like. But Harrison, is there anything you have to say to this, what seems like the problem of divine hiddenness? Yeah, um, seems like, Stone, you kind of just touched on... A little bit of just what Ekstrom has mentioned in terms of having that divine intimacy with God. And uh, it doesn't seem like you're too into the idea of buying to, you know, even like a relationship with 
the divine himself, you know. Um, I do want to mention, like, yeah, like, hey, once again, like, her theodicy may provide some insight in terms of, well, like, there is a certain kind of knowledge of God um, that we can be experienced once again uh, through the suffering. But you do get, once again, like, you do present a good point that, hey, like, not everyone gets to sort of kind of experience um, God in that way, too. Like, excerpt does not take a full account into essentially divine hiddenness. All right, so I'll give you that, but let's kind of look back at John Hick, all right? I mean, once again, with his theological argument, he kind of wants to just emphasize that uh, there are possibly virtuous goods, you know, coming from being able to develop uh, goodness rather um, than to just be instilled with it, you know, without evil. And uh, let me ask you this, like, uh, do you not see, like, the potential kind of, like, upshots, you know, or the potential, yeah, expected utility in terms of, you know, being able to uh, have that development, being able to have that sort of refinement of character over time, you know? I think that's something that both the atheists and theists can both, like, strive for, wouldn't you agree? Yeah, no, absolutely. I think it would be an, an immense good, but I don't think that it's a good that is being distributed equally or with a lack of prejudice, right? Um, there are a lot of things that God could do that would lead us to believe that he exists, right? This doesn't necessarily include like a full vision before each and every one of us, um, even if an omnipotent God would theoretically be able to do that. But it could be something really small. I have a, uh, oh, I'm sorry. I, don't, I have a question to this. If God were to um, issue everyone a roll of tape, or well, not God, if everyone were to get a roll of tape that said made by God on a microscopic level, would that uh, prove God's existence? I mean... If it just, like, happened to appear one morning on everyone, everyone in the world? Objectively, it wouldn't, but I think it would really force us to ask a question, right? And that's really the sort of inclination that I'm talking about, is not to formally prove that God exists, but to be compelling enough to force most people to look, right? A lot of Christians feel that they have a sense of the divine, that they can feel the presence of God. And yet, that sense only seems to be present in those who are on good terms with God, right? Instead, if every human being had that sort of sense that there was a God, and maybe it grew, you know, maybe it grows stronger when you do things that are in line with God's plan or something like that. If there was a mechanism by which we all at least could believe God, then that would be one thing. But we're not in that kind of situation right now. And do you not believe that um, following? Uh, pause. What's the guy who made the turn? The, who made the choice table, who said, just go and take math. Pascal's wager. Pascal's wager. Um, and do you not believe if you just follow Pascal's wager and just go to church and uh, take holy water, you'll find God? No. Um, no, I, I don't think that just committing oneself to a religion long term is going to be enough necessarily but again God would seem to want a relationship and that relationship isn't something that we can fake by wishing ourselves to believe that God exists right that sort of belief seems to be hardwired into us and really connected to the evidence that we have 
on a semi-subconscious level, right? Huh. And so, if we're going to see the presence of God, right, if I'm going to believe, then I'm going to need stronger evidence because I can't make myself believe. But you said earlier... And on kind of a meta level, why are we dipping into Pascal's wager? That just reminded me of it. Uh, alright, cool. Just, I'm not trying to be dismissive, I'm just not sure where we're going with this. I was gonna, okay, well, well, we can find our way back if you really want. Or, did you like where we were before this? I mean, we're at 32 minutes right now, 33 minutes right now, give or take, so like 32 minutes minus all the bullshitting. Well, I mean, yeah, we can just, it doesn't really matter. Yeah, like, we still have enough time to redo the upshots, so I think at this point, if we can just go... Redo the upshots? We have to redo some? We still have enough time for, like, closing statements and stuff like that, sorry. So I think, like, the best thing would be, like, right after I give that second clarification into free will, just go straight back and, like, have Harrison's So we should try to just cut that out. Yeah, cut that out and just have more time to, like, wrap up... um, Divine hiddenness before closing statements. I'm yeah, so I don't remember what you said before I started babbling. Nah, um, so the last thing that I had said is like, what, why is God hidden? You know, why is God hidden? I wonder if we can go back and listen a little bit. <laughs> honestly, I'm thinking like another tape, another taping. Oh, I feel you. Five would be good. Like I yeah. think honestly, like we have the content down. What well, I, I just, think, I just want to pause it, listen to it, and then I think we could get it right now. What like make this the good take? Yeah, I I got a lot of. Uh, I'm on the same page as Stone. Honestly, I feel like we're uh, kind of running on low on fumes here. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, really. Like, my opinion I'm like uh, I feel like I'm personally like just <laughs> yeah like I think content wise yeah. we're like 80-90% there yeah yeah okay I was yeah. also thinking I was like as sharp as I was like coming in here you know so no definitely yeah okay so I say let's wrap this up from like let's wrap this up from non-belief take this full cut and then like tomorrow you and I just sit down and like clean the shit out of our lines you know what I mean like everyone takes like an hour sits down and like mm-hmm. you know just Should has like lines or whatever the fuck it is yeah. you know? I, like, like, I feel like yeah even though it's really here. tempting just to just um, just like get the final thing out I feel like if we we should at least you know it is yeah. a final grade might as well like put a little more effort into it I wouldn't mind giving right. an extra day honestly so yeah. cause the thing is like once we get done with this it takes literally zero extra time to you know get it sent out like yeah. a good take isn't going to need more than 10 minutes of editing and then we can set it on to Joe. Like, I... Yeah. Yeah. All right. So... Um... All right. Going back from Divine Hiddenness, then, given that we still had, like, seven minutes to clean up, um... I guess, do you want to go with, like, God would come to improper relationships if we... Like, I was going to mention wasn't... that. Yeah, uh, I think it was, like, I kind of noticed we took a little bit of a different turn direction, because, like, I think in the previously, like, we did even mention Divine Hiddenness, and I think it's good we're mentioning it now. Um, I was kind of caught off guard by that. Um, we just ended up with more time <coughs> uh, this time around. Yeah. So one thing I noticed was, like, you kind of went into explaining the um, expected, like, 
or sorry, I can't, I can't even think right now. The uh, possible like, utility from like um, both uh, John Kick and then as well as uh, Ekstrom as well. And uh, I, I could have done that personally. I'm not saying like, sure. um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think like just to drag it out, I could just probably try to emphasize that you can go nothing, blah, blah, blah. And then I think you can kind of once again recap like your disapproval about those upshots, um, what you just did right there. So sure. I think we kind of just skipped one step, but we can definitely add that in. Yeah, definitely. So uh, do you want me to take intimacy, you take soul making, and then Ron does free will for uh, that breakdown? Yeah, let's do that. Let's do that. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. Um, but then, like, you kind of mentioned that whole point. Uh, can you just emphasize that point that you just made at the very end, like, before we... Uh, what point have I emphasized? Um, uh, like, on, on what tangent was I going on? I forget, honestly. <laughs> um, I was talking about morality. I was saying... Yeah, I was wrapping up morality. I was saying that there are things that God does that are inconsistent. You know, like, uh, we don't 